0: Oh!
3: The Pelicans giveth, the Pelicans taketh away. Just when you thought you could buy into the Pels being healthy-ish and that this was going to be a remarkable season and that Zion Williamson was going to be healthy for the first time in his career, the big fella, The first time. Then, well, the Pels proved to be, wait for it, the Pels. Zion Williamson had an MRI done yesterday, confirming that he has a right hamstring strain that he suffered late in the third quarter of Monday night's loss at the Philadelphia 76ers. Which means the big fella all star face of the franchise will be reevaluated in three weeks. Three weeks will be reevaluation time. Not that he's coming back in three weeks. No, 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 no. That he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. And here's the problem you never really fully recover from the hammy, it nags at you. It gets in the back of your mind that you're going to pull it again. Your rehab is usually slow. So now the Pelicans who are off to one of their best starts in franchise history and have been able to do so without essentially Brandon Ingram for most of the season, without Herb Jones for most of the season. But they had Zion and CJ carrying the load. Well, now Zion's going to be out. Probably a month. And they still don't have Brandon Ingram back. Yay! Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the Big Baldum. Beautiful one. I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names. We have a good show lined up for you today. We're going to talk. McNeese basketball legend, Joe Dumar's. He's going to have the court named after him there at McNeese on Thursday night. We're going to talk LSU men's basketball. Losing on the road to Kentucky, but man, showing a great fight. They sure do look like an NCAA tournament team. I know it's early, but they have a lot of the trademarks of a tourney team. We'll dive into that hardwood action, as well as talking the latest with LSU football, Saints, and... Raging Cajuns, football and basketball. But we're going to start with those Pels. What do you do now? I, I That's where it stands. What do you do? Where do you go? They've already had to be without one all-star for most of the season. And Brandon Ingram. They haven't had Herb Jones out there either for the majority of that stretch. And they've dealt with not having Zion Williamson out there, right? Guy missed all of last season. He's missed chunks of every season he's played in. The big thing about Zion, the big question mark, if you will, has always been, well, can he actually play? Availability. When he's healthy, he is special. When he's healthy, guy's one of the plays like one of the best players in the league. But the argument has always been he doesn't stay healthy enough to do that. And sure enough, now he's got a hammy. We begin the new year with terrible injury news for the Pelicans. As the face of the franchise is now out. And probably a month because he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. the The Pelicans did not announce that the big fellow is going to be ready to go in three weeks. No, 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 that he's going to be reevaluated. And you know good and well because of his injury prone history. And I know everyone views that as a negative thing when you you call someone injury prone, but that's the case. Zion was injured in high school. Zion was injured in college. Zion's been injured his entire pro career. That means he's injury prone. Which is why when the draft came around all those years ago, right here at this desk on this station, I said, I know Zion's special. I know his ceiling is great. But I'm taking John Morant. I said it right here. Big fellas with unique bodies that we haven't seen before. Because he has what we call a tweener body. Okay, he's a big dude. He can carry around 300 pounds, but the frame is not built for 300 pounds. If that makes any sense. So, Zion has to be on top of his weight, For the frame that he has. And that's why his weight's always been an issue. Because he is physically dominant. When he's on, it's tough to stop. Because he has a unique body type. And he has a unique skill set. The problem is... The problem is... The guy's always injured. And anyone can pull a hamstring make no bones about it anybody can pull a hamstring that's not unique happens all the time but it's just another injury for Zion and another injury for the pels and look willie green proved last year earned his earned his coaching card if you will by as a first year coach never having zion dealing with other injuries and somehow found a way to rally these guys after they got the cj mccullum after they executed the cj mccullum trade they were able to rally the troops win the play-in tournament get into the playoffs well they're not going to be that far behind now because hey guess what if you lose zion for the next month hey You're already one of the top four teams in the West. You're eventually going to get Brandon Ingram back, hopefully. You're in a good spot. But once again, they still haven't all played together. The projected starting five for this team has only played in like six games together. So even when Zion does return, you're going to have to figure out how to incorporate him. How does he and B.I. play on the court at the same time again? How do you do this with Herb Jones and C.J. McCollum and Trey Murphy the Third and Valachunas? This is a talented team. This is a deep team. But this is a huge setback. It just is. It's a huge setback because you don't know how he's going to handle coming back. What's his recovery time? And you know the Pelicans are going to be extra cautious because this is their face of the franchise. This is the guy they've invested all the money into. You think they're going to rush him back? No. I mean, they're not going to reevaluate his hamstring injury for three weeks. That's when they're going to reevaluate it. It's just unbelievable. Zion was really hitting his stride, and that's the other part of this. Whether or not you believe Zion's the top five player or whatever it may be, we've had that discussion here on the show, and we've had this discussion via social media. He was really growing up. He was becoming a man in front of our own eyes. 29.3 points a game he was averaging. 63.4% field goal percentage, averaging 6.6 rebounds, 5.4 assists, a steal, a block in his last 15 games. We were seeing him really ascend to one of the best players in the league this season. And now, out. To their biggest... Scores, bucket getters, if you will, Zion and B.I. both out. And here's the other part of this. Not only does he suffer the right hamstring uh, strain, let's say proactively, let's just be positive that in three weeks they reevaluate him and they say, Zion, you're good to go. Boom, get back out there. Okay, let's take best case scenario. We know that's not going to be the case, but let's take best-case scenario here. Pelicans play 11 games over the next three weeks, seven of which are on the road. They're five games under 500 on the road this season. So now you're not going to have Zion as well, and you have to play 11 games in the next three weeks, and seven of those are on the road. It's going to be a critical stretch for the Pels can they maintain their top-four seating? Can they stay up there while they wait for Zion to come back? Can B.I. actually come back? He's still dealing with the toe injury. They're going to find out. We're going to find out what this Pells team is made of and guys like Najee Marshall, Balachunas. Going to see a lot of Jackson Hayes. Maybe it was a good thing they didn't trade him in the offseason after all and see if they can keep things afloat while Zion is out now for at least three weeks and while they still wait for Brandon Ingram to return. We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. LSU men's basketball team went on the road, put together a very impressive performance They lost, but, man, they sure do have the look of a tournament team. We'll recap that for you coming up next. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Tune in
2: every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
3: Oh, now that you scored yourself an Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can now use it to listen to the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game Southwest Louisiana. That's it. Ask your Amazon Alexa or your Google Home smart speaker to play the game Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. LSU men's basketball team went up to Lexington, Kentucky. Always a tough place to play. Notoriously a difficult place, especially for the LSU Tigers. Kentucky's ranked this year, but they're not, as it stands right now, on January the 4th, a vintage John Calipari Kentucky team. They have some pieces. They have some talent. They're nationally ranked. But as it stands right now, no one's looking at them as going, oh, that's a Final Four team. But going on the road to the Bluegrass State to take on Kentucky in their place at Rupp Arena is... Immensely difficult. Despite having a roster that is more of a mid-major caliber roster and being on the road, LSU hung tough and looked really good in the loss last night. 74-71. They only lost by three on the road at Kentucky. This is supposed to be transition year this is supposed to be hey we got our new guy he's just going to try to keep us afloat while he'll need a few years to get more talented players on the roster for us to get back to where we need to be after Will Wade left it in shambles but that's not what's happening so far with Matt McMahon over in Baton Rouge they already beat a top 10 ranked team to open up SEC play in Arkansas And they hang tough and only lose by three at Kentucky inside Rupp Arena? To another ranked opponent? This team, just like Brian Kelly did with the football team, it feels like we're going to have this men's basketball team overachieve. Play above its playing weight, if you will. And I'm here for it. This is always a sign of good coaching when you're dealing at the collegiate ranks and you have a team with a new coach, you have a team with a bunch of players, but not many of them are really power five caliber stars. They have some of them on LSU's roster, but he got a bunch of his kids that he was coaching at his previous spot. spot right? The expectation is, okay, let's see if LSU can be competitive. Not only are they proving to be competitive, they've already beat number nine ranked Arkansas, and they went toe-to-toe with nationally ranked Kentucky on the road. This is a great sign for what this team could be. I thought, hey, if this team can get to maybe 19, 20 wins this season, be competitive down the stretch, start coming together, that would be a win for the LSU men's basketball program in year one of Matt McMahon because the expectations should not be that high. Just like I felt like the expectations shouldn't be that high for Brian Kelly, who took over a mess of a football program. Well, Brian Kelly won the SEC West 10 games and a bowl game. Can Matt McMahon have this team be nationally ranked this season can he have this team be an NCAA tournament team now it's still early I understand that there's still plenty of time to go here and they could you know hit a wall and take a dip and there it's not as if the competition is going to get any easier for them they're still going to have to play ranked Alabama ranked Tennessee Auburn's always a handful with Bruce Pearl as their head coach So, there's still plenty of difficult, challenging games on the schedule. But, man, to go into Rupp like they did last night. And they still got a shot off. Now, K.J. Williams' last second shot, you know, fell well short at the buzzer. But they still were able to even get a shot off. Who had that? Who anticipated this LSU team before the start of the season or even early in the season when they weren't really playing anybody, that you said, hey, that's a team that's going to go into nationally ranked Kentucky and have a chance to force overtime at the buzzer. No one. No one thought that. No one. They trailed Kentucky by only one point with nine seconds left after Cam Hayes was fouled on the three-point shot with 9.3 seconds left. Hayes made all three shots from the charity stripe, but Ford... Jacob Toppin made both of his free throws to extend the lead back to three. I mean, this was a two-point game with 57 seconds left. They gave Kentucky everything they could handle. They played fairly solid defense last night. And look, Kentucky's got dudes. Kentucky's got lottery picks. That's the thing that, that's the biggest thing that to take away. Once again, Cal's teams always take a while to develop their chemistry and what they're going to be because he has a bunch of lottery picks, right? And got to figure out how those guys are going to play together. What roles are they going to take? And it usually takes a little while. So if you're going to get Kentucky, you usually can get them early in the schedule. But... For them to go out there and hang tough with Kentucky like that. And they did so by shooting the three-pointer last night. That's the other part of that. They got hot from three. Now their half-court offense eh, wasn't great. But they hit six of 13 shots from beyond the arc in the first half. So now you're seeing a different type of wrinkle with this LSU men's basketball team. Once again, I'm not moral victory guy. Just not. That said, they've opened up conference play, taking down a top 10 ranked team, and then going on the road and losing to another nationally ranked team in one of the toughest places to play, Rupp Arena, and only lost by three. It's a good sign It's a promising sign for the LSU men's basketball team for this 2022-2023 season. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to keep it on the hardwood, talk a little Raging Cajuns basketball. Oh, and we're also going to unveil our poll question of the day, which, of course, on Wednesdays is our foodie poll question of the week. That's coming up next. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
2: RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's sports Station. station.
3: Hey, the new year has arrived, which means Mardi Gras can't be far behind. And you can get Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon. That's going to be held on Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. You can wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course. Served at the Adult Hydration Station. Well, that sounds like a good time. A party bus will follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all or some, or guess what? You don't have to run any of it. Just come out and have a good time. The audience is going to vote for the winner of the costume contest. So bring your loudest, craziest friends with you. It's the Lunday Graw Barathon free drinks, food, and prizes. You can go register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Foodie poll question of the day which is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. This is inspired by a conversation that was had in passing with producer extraordinaire, Ms. Hannah. Five names where I was slightly appalled. I was aghast by what she told me. So this leads us to our poll question of the day. What type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti? Do you put on just miscellaneous shredded cheese? Because someone inside the studio likes doing that. Like just taking like shredded Colby or shredded cheddar and just putting it right on top of the spaghettis. That's what Hannah does. That's her jam, by the way. Go ahead. You got your microphone. I'll, I'll let you talk.
4: <laughs> Parmesan cheese is not enough. So you put shredded cheese on top. It's not a cheese dish. It's spaghetti. Yeah, well, I I am engaged to a man that loves cheese. So everything has cheese on it. Ribbons and rice. It's got cheese on it.
3: Stop. Spaghetti. It's Stop. got You're cheese on it. Stop. You're making it worse. You're making it worse. You. You said what now?
4: Uh-huh. Not like you know. No, 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 not no. Not like soak it overnight. That kind of red beans and rice because I don't know how to make that. So like the blue runner, red beans and rice. But puts corn on spaghetti.
3: I need a moment. So, yes. not only have you revealed to me that you put shredded cheese on the spaghetti, mm-hmm. you're telling me that your fiance likes putting cheese on his red beans and rice, mm-hmm. and then you're telling me that you're eating red beans and rice out of a can.
4: Yes, yeah, I don't know how to I'm it. I'm
3: not for sure which thing to be offended more by.
4: None of the above. No, no. I'm unique. I'm different. We know this. We love me for it. I think it's okay.
3: The fact that You believe it's okay to eat red beans and rice out of a can. That's
4: what I grew up on, really. And then type.
3: (laughs) How is someone from the state of Louisiana eating red beans and rice out of a can?
4: See, I was born here, but I moved around a lot.
3: Not an excuse. Where is your mama from?
4: West Bank.
3: (laughs) So mama's from West Bank of New Orleans. And y'all are rolling with canned red beans is what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. I need, I'm going to take a note right now. I need to do a better job of doing background checks on individuals that I hire here. Because I'm not for sure if I would have signed off on adding you to the roster. Knowing that you eat the red beans out of the can.
4: Yeah. I usually would get the big the big tall cans and then I would eat half well, at one point for one snack, like one like dinner for myself and the other half another night. Always with Tabasco or Crystals, a little bit of sloppy mama or Tony's the on one we had. And then now since I've been with Kenneth for going on almost six years now, um with cheese. I was appalled at first and then I tried, and I was actually not that bad.
3: That's not a ringing endorsement <laughs> when you say something's not that bad.
4: Yeah, cuz it's, like no, it's, it's like different but like it's I like it. No,
3: no, no, no. That's not an endorsement. That's not like saying you're putting your support behind something when you go, "Well, you know, well, it's not that bad." Yeah, you're not saying you it's say good.
4: It's, I mean, it is good, but you're going to go and say that it's terrible and I said, "Well, it's not that bad because you're not going to like it as much."
3: I can't deal with you right now. This is this I, I couldn't, I could couldn't deal with the spaghetti, mm-hmm. but now you've taken it to another level. So you, you you've gone down a rabbit hole that I am afraid we will never be able to recover from.
4: Well, guys, the other uh, options in the poll question are American <laughs> sliced cheese, which Ray guessed that first. That's why it's on there. So that's the silly answer: Parmesan cheese and other.
3: Yes, because shredded cheese is not a silly answer for spaghetti. It is
4: not a silly answer. Yeah, put like a whole like half of the dang bottle of on cheese. To actually, have cheese on your spaghetti because
3: it's a compliment to the spaghetti. Why are you wanting to put douse your spaghetti in shredded cheese? You're taking away the taste of the marinara, the seasonings of the sauce, or the meatballs. You maniac!
4: I also don't have meat all the time when I eat spaghetti. Is that a bad thing, too?
3: <laughs>
4: oh, I hope, though, no. you, your faith will be restored in me as you eat the stew I brought you for lunch. So, hopefully, that makes sense. Am I supposed better. to put
3: cheese on
4: it? No. Kenneth said all about it. I said, no, I'm not putting it on that.
3: Then I'll probably enjoy it. That has me. I in thought it. your future husband was from Florida, not
5: Wisconsin.
4: He may be from over there, but that man loves cheese. If he could, he would eat a macaroni and cheese every single day of his life. I tell him no. Oh, Often.
3: A foodie poll question of the week. You're welcome. Oh, thank you, I guess. What type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti? Shredded cheese, American slices, Parmesan, or other? Right now, 83% say Parmesan. 9% say other. 4% say shredded. 4% say American slices. Let's get to some early comments, shall we? Ralph on the Twitter says, Parm, and not the canned one, has to be fresh grated. Ooh, now you were talking. With some four-cheese garlic toast on the side. Sliced cheese? Choosing that will probably result in a visit from the Gambino family. (laughs) JPK, the OD, says, Fresh shaved Parmigino oil is the only option. If you're feeling fancy, you can spike it a bit with its buttery, creamy, slightly nutty cousin. That, this is coming from a fellow West Banker, You're making us look bad. Please step up your foodie game. H5N. Anna, five names with the gif of... This is unacceptable. Todd on Twitter says, Parmesan is the go-to, but have you tried mozzarella or... Well, they're going all types of fancy cheeses now. Irish cheese with an Italian roasted tomato marinara is... Hang on, going to do lunch for breakfast. There you go. John Paul, Cajun Daddy says, What? Who puts sliced cheese on their spaghetti? That is just a silly answer. And remember, cheese doesn't go bad. It just becomes a different cheese.
4: No, it goes bad. (laughs) Mixed cheese goes bad.
3: Salty Steve says Romano. That's a good choice as well. And Krista says, uh, I went, they, they used goat's cheese and it was fantastic. That's our foodie poll question of the day. What type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti? You have options. Shredded, which is Hannah's jam. Some of you have voted for American Slices. See, I knew somebody would. 83%, though, say Parmesan. 9% say Other. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, no matter how ridiculous they may be. Raging Cajun's men's basketball team is going to get back to action this week. Thursday, Saturday are their two games. Going to be both at home inside the Cajun Dome. First up will be Southern Miss on Thursday night. Then on Saturday will be Georgia State. And these are two key games for Bob Marlin's team because, well, they've opened up conference play as the preseason favorite to win the conference by losing their first two games at Coastal Carolina and then at Old Dominion. So they're going to have to turn it around in a hurry is the best thing that they're going to have to do. And Bob Marlin, the veteran man in charge of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns men's basketball team, talked about how this little two-game homestand this week is really coming at the right time for his ball club.
0: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I wouldn't want to go six in a row or five in a row on the road. But this, we're in the middle of a six of eight, eight of ten stretch. We knew that. And we... we Felt like uh, we could get one of the games, if not both, on the road. But uh, we didn't make the plays and get the breaks down the stretch.
3: The Coastal loss is the one that really hurts, right? Because that's, that, that's a mediocre team. And you were up by 10 late in that ball game. Let it get away from you. Old Dominion is a pretty good team. But Southern Miss is a pretty good team. And Georgia State's a pretty good team. So you got to figure it out. Now, also what's going on during this time? They started incorporating Kobe Julian back into the fray. And I think that's messed up, kind of jumbled up the chemistry a little bit. They were playing without him. Now you got to add another, you know, you have you have another mouth to feed so to speak. That affects everyone else because then you're taking away time from somebody else, the rotation's going to be a little bit off. And you have to kind of develop that on-court chemistry. They get along off the court, but you got to figure out how to incorporate him. And look, it's been a little clunky the last couple games. It just has been. So they got to figure that out as well. And another thing they haven't been able to do, they haven't done a good enough job of getting to the free throw line and getting those extra points, getting those free points, if you will. And Coach Marlin was asked, what is it going to take for his team to make sure to get to the charity stripe more?
0: We have to be aggressive. Uh, you know, we've got to get the calls, but we've got to put put it on the officials and make sure that uh, we get to the free throw line, whether we drive the ball or we post up. So we're just gonna have to continue to work at that phase.
3: So you got to continue being aggressive, as Bob says. You got to force the referees' hand, right? Force them to call the fouls, and they did that in the McNeese game. But, but once again, this team is now on a three-game losing skid. They had their hands full against McNeese at the Legacy Center, was able to pull away for eight-point victory. They go on the road. They lose by nearly 30 at top 10-ranked Texas. When they're on the road. They lose to a mediocre Coastal Carolina team to start south in conference play. A couple days later, they turn around and lose to Old Dominion. Southern Miss and Georgia State are going to be no joke. they got to figure this out if they're going to live up to their expectations of being the overwhelmingly favorite to win the conference, they got to execute better. They just do. Now, a nice surprise for this team this year has been Themis Folks. how he has played for them. He has contributed. He has really kind of stepped up in a big way for them throughout the early part of the season. And Coach Marlin talked about what Fulks brings to the table.
0: For the most part, I mean, he was aggressive at the end of the Coastal game. That wasn't what we wanted, Uh, and he he shot one off the bounce trying to draw a foul at the end of the game, Uh, but he has done a good job, as you said, Kevin. He's got 21 assists and five turnovers in the two conference games. I mean, he leads the league in assists. I had a good talk with him Friday, and he he shot less on Saturday and still did a good job with uh, 12 assists. So pleased with his performance. He's, we, we want him to, to be a little bit better defensively. And then one of those shots, you know, was a goaltend. It wasn't called two. So, I mean, you can go back to so many plays that we could very fortunately be 2-0 and if, if things would have been different.
3: They'll get back to action Thursday night inside the Cajun Dome against Southern Miss. Tip's going to be set for seven. Tip will be set for seven as well on Saturday versus Georgia State. And can Bob Marlin's team – Stop the three-game skid and get back on track and get their first Sunbelt Conference win of the season. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update that poll question of the day and wrap up hour number one. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Either inspired by listening to the Bob Marlin audio on the show or Salty by the fact that Hannah Five Names eats red beans out of a can. Salty Steve, our guy, said, Marlin has more excuses than Carter has liver pills. This was supposed to be the year. How's he still employed? If he were at another institution, his job would have been vacated already. Dr. M needs to move on. We knew that the people that aren't that high on Bob were going to have something to say. How do you lose a Coastal? How do you lose Old Dominion? Now look, conference play is always difficult. And anyone that covers this team, when they were announced as the preseason favorite to win the conference, you went, okay. Yeah, but... I, you just did. You, you just did. You knew that this team wasn't perfect and that they were going to have to work on things. And they're going to have to figure it out with Kobe Julian because he's a talented player. But they got to figure out the team chemistry and they got to do it fast. Well, once again, the conference has expanded. So now you have more quality teams in it, like Southern Miss, like Old Dominion. You got to be able to beat those teams. Period. Point blank. It's what you got to do. You have to figure it out. And they got to figure it out in a hurry, man. They just do. They got to figure it out in a hurry because if they don't, it's going to be a disappointing season. It's going to be a very, very disappointing season. Update on Damar Hamlin. Uh, We got an update from his uncle yesterday afternoon that he remains in stable but critical condition, that they've actually they uh, decided to keep him on the two, but the oxygen levels have been reduced from 100% to 50%. So he's making some progress. But as more and more doctors chimed in on the situation throughout yesterday, that we find out that they had to, when they restarted his heart on the field during the Monday night football game between the Bengals and the Bills, which the NFL did make the announcement that it will not resume this week. That decision was made, that they will not try to play that game this week. Now, they haven't canceled it altogether, which is an odd thing, but it won't be played this week. That they had to restart his heart on the field then. They had to recitate him then, and they also then had to do it again at the hospital. So when you have to do that, The safety measures are you go ahead and you give them a breathing tube just to be safe as they recover. So, stable but still critical condition at the area Cincinnati Hospital where they have taken him. He's surrounded by family and friends. The family released a statement yesterday through the Buffalo Bills thanking everyone, members of Bills Mafia, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Bills, and just random people for donating to his charity which is now exceeded it's nearly 4 million dollars in donations
4: over 6 million
3: now now it's over 6 million so people are stepping up in a big way we shared the link yesterday on our social media platforms for folks to like and share and if you wanted to help out you could as well so that's the latest updates right now that darman Hamlin remains in stable but critical condition. Still on a breathing tube at the area Cincinnati Hospital as he is trying to recover from having his heart stop, had a heart attack right there on the field during the Monday night football game. We got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. At least three weeks with a hamstring strain. Yay for the Pelicans. Great start to the season. Top three team in the Western Conference, mainly because of the play of Valachunas, CJ McCollum, Trey Murphy III, but really because of Zion Williamson ascending from a kid with a big smile on his face to a man. We saw him develop. We saw him grow into a great player, uh, grow into being an absolute dog on the court. And now that's gone. Hamstring strain. It happened late in the third quarter of Monday night's loss against the Philadelphia 76ers. And now the big fella is not going to be reevaluated for at least three weeks. Christian Clark. From the advocate who covers the New Orleans Pelicans, says that the Pelicans announced that they're going to reevaluate Zion's injury in three weeks, which means as cautious as they have to be with him because, I hate to say it, he's injury prone. He's injury prone. He's banged up in high school. He's banged up in college for the one year at Duke, or really half a year. And he's been banged up his entire NBA career, the entire career. And the hammy is one of those ones that lingers because you can't do rehab while you're doing it, not really, because you mainly have to rest. But then once you get back out there, we've seen it happen over and over again. A guy suffers a hamstring injury, particularly basketball players, but we also see it in football. You suffer a hamstring injury and then you re-aggravate it when you come back. It happens all the time because it's one of those delicate things that really you only truly heal it, recover from it with rest. So as great as the start of the season is, for this team, and they've been able to do this and be a top three team in the Western Conference without their all-star, Brandon Ingram, who's been out the majority of the season with the toe injury. They haven't had Herb Jones for majority of the season, their best defensive player. And now they're not going to have Zion. And that lineup of Valachinis, Zion, B.I., C.J. McCollum, and Herb Jones, they've only played six games together. That's it. That's it. When's B.I. coming back? We don't know. He's been starting to shoot a little bit before games, which would be an indicator that the Pelicans All-Star is getting close to coming back. But is he? Not yet. And right when you start getting B.I. back, or getting close to having him come back to being part of the roster, your other All-Stars now out with a hamstring injury. And you know the Pelicans, because Zion's injury-prone, that they're going to be overly cautious with his recovery. They're not going to rush him back. They're just not. They're going to wait. They're going to play it safe because that's their franchise guy. That's the guy they've committed all that money to. You don't want to rush him back and then make the hamstring injury even worse. Ooh. Willie Green is a very good coach. And we saw what he was able to do last year after the C.J. McCollum trade, turning things around with McCollum and Valachunas and Trey Murphy III and Herb Jones. And they're going to have to do that again because you're essentially not going to have Zion now for the next month. If they're not going to reevaluate him until three weeks from right now, I don't expect him to play for a month, month and a half. That's just the way it's going to be. And once again, he is an immensely talented player, but part of the problem for Zion is his body. He has a very unique body type. There's not another guy in the league that's built like him. But as we've seen, the body struggles to stay healthy because maybe it's not intended to. We've seen this before over the course of sports, where guys are freaks of nature, they're built differently than everyone else. But because of that, they don't stay healthy. They can't stay healthy because the body wasn't designed to do that. And here we are with Zion having to miss more time. More time. The LSU men's basketball team, meanwhile. Went on the road to Rupp Arena, a place that's always been difficult for the Tigers to play in. They fall short, losing by only three to nationally ranked Kentucky. Wildcats were able to hold off the Tigers. I'm not moral victory guy. You know this. But the fact that Matt McMahon's team in year one with a mid-major roster In their first two conference games have been able to knock off a top 10 ranked Arkansas team and hang tough and only be down by a single possession in the final minutes at Kentucky, who's also nationally ranked, is wildly impressive. Does this mean that this LSU team is going to make a deep playoff run or deep NCAA tournament run? No, but they sure do look like a team that's going to be a tough out in the SEC tournament. They sure do look like a team that could possibly make the NCAA tournament. And that's vastly, vastly above the expectations that anyone had for this program in year one after the mess that he inherited after Will Wade left. Feels very similar to what Brian Kelly did with the football team this year after he took over the mess that Ed Orgeron left. Got some good coaches over there across the basin getting the job done. Still early in the season, I understand that. But man, they're getting the job done. Poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. We asked you what type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti. 82% of you right now say Parmesan. 9% say other. We've got some fancy cheeses being thrown out there. Some people with fine palates, if you will. 6% say American slices. And 3% of you say shredded cheese. Many of you, though, have commented, uh, no. B-Rad says, grated Parmesan or Romano only. The others are acceptable for pastas like ziti and lasagna. Little something for Miss Five names there. LC says, someone saying sliced cheese must be skip. (laughs) I'm here for the skip Bayless slander, by the way. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day, which on Wednesdays is our foodie poll question of the week. Let's head out to the game hotline, though, and bring on Mr. Green. School begins again today for the students. Teachers had to go back yesterday, so Jamie's now known as Mr. Green again. Good morning, sir. How are you?
6: Good morning, Mr. I'm Doing all right. How are you all doing this morning?
3: I'm doing great. I'm trying to get over the fact that Hannah puts cheese on her spaghetti and on her red beans and rice. But besides that atrocity, I'm I'm keeping it moving, bud.
6: I promise, Miss Five Names, I wasn't going to be mean, but I do have to say this. What more do you expect from a girl who microwaves her rice? <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, Ms. Five Names. That's the only mean <laughs> thing I'm going to say, I promise.
3: <laughs> what else you got on your mind, bud?
6: Look, I I uh I love me some spaghetti. I I I'm going to be a little weird just to kind of make up for for that that shot. So, uh nothing wrong with with the the pre-made sauces and everything. But I like to add a little bit of cinnamon to my to my marinara uh before I serve it over spaghetti. I know that sounds weird, but it gives it just that little hint of of something that just it it, it it's really good. Just try it um no as far as the cheese goes no no i'm not i'm not trying that
3: jamie i'm not trying that no 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 you don't even get mr green now for that you get get brought down you're just now jamie again (laughs)
1: look uh, you know
6: it's really it's really good i promise um but hey to each their own right so except for cheese the cheese i'll go with parmesan that's a good choice Gorgonzola is also a really good choice. There we go. If you've ever had? Mm. If you've ever had a good, nice, uh, good, nice, fresh marinara with with gorgonzola? Just oh, so good. So uh, that would be my choice, and uh, hopefully Zion doesn't hear any of this because he does need to work on his weight management.
3: Oh so, uh, wow, wow! Hope
6: you guys have a great rest of your day.
3: Thank you, Jamie. Happy New Year to you, bud. <laughs> Let's go back out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. Happy New Year. What's on your mind? Reynolds, brother, you there?
2: Morning, morning, morning. Uh, I'm going to have to go with, with Anna on this one. Listen, spaghetti is, if you think about it, just a deconstructed lasagna. So you could put whatever cheese you want on it, my opinion, And I've eaten it with shredded cheddar, Colby, all that stuff. It's good. So it's really whatever you like.
4: He's a chef, by the way. So
3: (laughs) Yeah, what does he think about you putting cheese on red beans and rice out of a can, by the way? Let's ask the chef how he feels about that.
2: Uh, Negative, negative, (laughs) negative, negative. (laughs) negative. Um, you're, You're on your own with that,
3: Hannah. You're on your own. (laughs)
4: Dang
3: it. <laughs> see, see, that's what you get. That's what you get for being braggadocious over there because you're like, oh, he agreed with me. Put cheese on spaghetti. It's just lasagna. I think Italians would tell you there's two different things, but I, I digress. But then you thought you're feeling good about yourself and then you're like you wanted to be braggadocious. And then the chef had to tell you, uh, no, what you doing with the red beans?
4: I said I know how to do it correctly. Like, how much water do you put to the bag of red beans to know how long you soak it for? And when do you soak it? And do you just put this water over? I don't know to do you, all the rest of that.
3: You just ask questions.
4: I try to ask questions, and you said, I'm going to tell Tina on you, and you told Tina on me, and y'all didn't do nothing about it. So I still use blue, brown, and red beans. I can't, <laughs> help,
3: you. I can't help you that your mama didn't teach you right about how to make uh, red you beans. YouTube, too.
2: You, too. <laughs> It'll show you how to make it. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank and you. A lot of times you only have to you have to uh, pre-soak them. See? Some are very staunch, staunch about pre-soaking them. I really, I've never smoked, soaked my beans before. You just cook them.
3: My Cajun wife and her family would like to disagree with you, but I'm just going to leave that out there. <laughs> I'm just going to because I don't argue with Cajun women, Reynolds. I learned that a long time ago. That's why I'm happily married.
2: <laughs> that you're a smart man. You're smart 100%. man.
3: <laughs> Thank you for the phone call, Bud. Happy New Year to you and yours. You brother.
2: have a blast day.
3: So you just had to push it. You got a little more. You got a little bit of a win. Reynolds came to you. You wanted to flex up. You're over yeah, there flexing. And so you
4: crushed me because that's all you wanted to do. You wanted to crush me. Yeah.
3: Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And you're like, it takes, oh, how, how long to soak them for? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Oh, oh, water. Oh, my God. Oh well, my like,
4: mom didn't make them. Usually my stepdad that dad made them because he was like, my mom's like, oh, I lucked out here. He cooks, he cleans. Perfect. But, you know, now she has to be the one to cook and clean. I we never take taught. A, I'm sorry.
3: We got to take a time out. Okay. Cheese on the red beans. I don't know what to do with you. Don't, don't be making the faces over there while you got your microphone turned off. Look at me. I make faces on the air. Oh, no one can see me.
4: Me, 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 me. <laughs> I
3: keep those votes coming on our foodie poll question of the week. What cheese is acceptable for spaghetti to be put on top of your spaghetti? Is it shredded cheese? Is it American slices? Is it Parmesan or is it other? I'm saving that red beans. Comment for another foodie poll question. You can count on that, by the way. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Joe Dumars, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, NBA Finals MVP, two time world champion. We heard from him earlier this week because guess what? Tomorrow night inside the Legacy Center, they're renaming the court after him because he is the greatest player ever at McNeese in McNeese men's basketball history. We'll hear from Joe D coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
2: You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like
7: to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants with the pants. Party with pants.
2: Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports
1: station. I had a great dinner in Las Vegas during the summer at the NBA Summer League, and that's when he first brought it up, and I just told him how much I appreciated if we ended up doing this, how much I appreciate it. I I take nothing for granted, anything, and I I think I said this to Heath, anything that uh, someone does for me or in honor of me, uh, I know they don't have to, and uh, so... Uh, very grateful, very thankful, and very appreciative uh, for this. And I, and I conveyed that to Heath uh, at dinner in Las Vegas in July sometime.
3: Joe Dumars, greatest player in McNeese men's basketball history. A gentleman who, huh, man, grew up in Natchitoches, played for McNeese. Went on to be drafted by the Detroit Pistons, part of the bad boy era of Pistons. Helped them win back-to-back world championships. He was NBA Finals MVP, multiple all-star. He's in the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame. He's also in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Oh, and as a front office executive, he helped the Pistons to another world title. It's one of the most accomplished, homegrown basketball talents our state's ever produced along the likes of Carl Malone being one of the others. Robert Parrish as well. And now Joe D is forever going to be associated with his alma mater. They're going to name the court after him Thursday night against Northwestern State, of all teams. And it's a big honor for Joe. The relationship between... Joe and the athletic department and the university hasn't always been the strongest. That's not necessarily uncommon. You know, Joe's life took him to Detroit, and he stayed. He never left. He's from Louisiana. He's from Natchitoches. His wife, who he met at McNeese, she's from Lake Charles. They're both from Louisiana, but their kids were raised in Detroit. They raised their family in Detroit, and Joe never left. Played his entire career with the Pistons. Then was part of the front office, and even in his role now with the association, he hasn't left Detroit. That's, That's his home now. So sometimes that happens, but they just grew apart, so to speak. And Joe played in an era where, you know, he didn't even play in Burton Coliseum. Dumars played back in the day at the Civic Center in downtown Lake Charles where people used to fight to get seats to games. That's how it used to be. That's back in the day when Carl Malone and Louisiana Tech would come to town. Joe's old friend. By the way, as Jim Gazzolo told us on yesterday's show, Carl Malone's second choice was to play at McNeese. It's crazy that the mailman would have been a cowboy. And... Now that Heath Royers in a nice job of reestablishing a relationship with Joe. Look, they, they, they had his number retired. It's hanging up inside the Legacy Center. Before then, it was hanging up in Burden Coliseum. But now the court's going to be named after him. So every time you see the Cowboys play on television, on ESPN+, Plus, or you go to a game, it's always going to be there. That's always going to be part of it now. And credit Heath Royer, athletic director and former men's basketball coach for repairing that relationship or making it stronger, if you will. Maybe it didn't need to be repaired. But it's definitely been now brought back together and Joe's been brought back into the McNeese family. And Joe was asked earlier this week, does he want a relationship with the team more now with that relationship being somewhat strengthened over the course of the last six months?
1: I would answer that the same way that um, I answered Matt's question about my relationship with Heath. I want to do it if it's organic, if it's if it's not forced. Uh, I would never force myself or my opinions on anyone else. And I am uh, as open to helping McNeese basketball as anyone. And so I would be, be happy to be involved if Heath and everyone else thought that I could help. Uh, I'd love to be a resource uh, to help in any way I can, Jim. So uh, I'm I'm wide open to it.
3: Dumars, of course, was a four-time first-team All-Southland player. The Southland Player of the Year as well for the Cowboys back in the day. Wore number four. And you heard it right there. If the relationship keeps being the way it is, you he'd be more than happy to help out. You know, and we heard from uh, Jim Gozolo yesterday that he spoke with Joe Dumars in the past about this. And, you know, one of the things Heath Schroyer did when he took over as the men's basketball coach before becoming the athletic director was that he reached out to Joe and asked him for advice. That's the type of stuff that you need to do. Those type of relationships need maintenance. All right? need to keep open lines of communication. You can't not communicate with one of your former stars unless you hit them up every few years when you need a donation. It's not how that works. It's just not how that works. Now, Thursday, they're going to have the ceremony in between the women's game and the men's game where they're going to unveil the court naming and honor Joe on the court. What's funny about that is, is that they're taking on Northwestern State. And Joe, growing up in Natchitoches, honed his skills back in the day as a kid from the age of about seven or eight years old all the way until he was a teenager at Northwestern State. He would actually go and play with the college kids, play pickup basketball with them, and develop his skill set and develop how to be a great defender, which he was. This was a guy that was a five-time all-defensive honoree in the NBA, one of the best defensive guards in history. He did that on the campus of Northwestern State.
1: How ironic, right? So I saw that and I I thought about it. I stopped and thought about it for a second. Um, From probably the age of 13 till about 17, for those four years, uh, when you talk about honing my skills, I did it on Northwestern's campus, you know, I played with those guys when I was in high school, uh, their, 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 their players at Northwestern, they allowed me to come up and play pickup with them all the time. So I spent, uh, three or four straight years at Prather Coliseum, uh, at Northwestern. I mean, I just nonstop. I was on that campus almost every day. And so it is very ironic that that's where I hone my skills, but, uh, But I obviously ended up, you know, my career being at McNeese, and I loved it.
3: And Thursday night, tomorrow night, inside the Legacy Center, the court will be unveiled in his honor, will be named after him, just like the basketball court there at Louisiana Tech's named after Carl Malone, Joe's friend and contemporary, fellow Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, fellow Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. And for one of the best defensive players of all time, by the way, that's not according to yours truly. That's according to Michael Jordan, who said Joe D was the best defensive player he ever faced. Yeah. What's that going to mean stepping onto that court Thursday night with his name on it?
1: Yeah, that's – that's uh, it's you know, I'm looking forward to it. It should be awesome. My wife and two kids are coming down with me. We're going to fly down – um, Wednesday, and um, and they're they're happy and excited about it too. As you know, my wife is from Lake Charles, went to St. Louis High School, and McNeese grad as well. So uh, she's excited, but my two kids are. My kids are born and raised here in Detroit, and coming to going back to Louisiana for them is always uh, kind of exciting. They they're not from there, but everything about their life is connected to Louisiana. So it's they're looking forward to it too.
3: It should be a special moment. And Joe is one of the more stand-up guys that you'll run into, he's McNeese's greatest player. And I'd love for anyone of the younger generation that did, doesn't remember the bad boy Pistons, doesn't remember the Jordan rules, just you know, go search on YouTube Joe Dumar's defense. You'll be fine. You want to figure out how to play defense and want to stop the greatest player of all time and frustrate him and make his life you know a living hell night in night out just go watch old clips of joe dumars play basketball that's all you need we got to take a timeout when we return we're going to stay in college talk all things lsu with our guy ron higgins the mad dog joins us next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and your home for the lsu tigers and the world series champion houston astros <laughs>
2: Half the week is in the books, which means it's time to talk Bayou Bengals with Tiger Details columnist, the Mad Dog himself, Ron Higgins. Here is Hold That Tiger on RP3 and Company.
3: Mad Dog, happy New Year to you and yours, brother. How you doing?
8: I'm good, Ramon. How you doing, man?
3: I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So, before we get to the football team, I want to I start off with the men's basketball team because, look, I, I am not moral victory guy, right? I, I just I am. A, a win is a win. A loss is a loss. But through two games in the SEC slate with a mid-major roster, Matt McMahon has taken down a top-10 ranked Arkansas team and only lost by three inside Rupp Arena, a place that's notoriously difficult for LSU. What do you make of how well this team is, let's be honest, kind of overachieving so far this season?
8: I think I think this team knows exactly who it is and how it has to play, and it doesn't deviate from that. Uh, it doesn't do anything crazy offensively. It sticks to what it, it, it does. Uh, and defensively, they're really, really good. Uh, rebounding, depends what nights you get them on. Last night, they got blasted pretty good and kind of put them in a hole, and they did a better job the last eight minutes of the game and came back. But I think the fact this team... It plays under control, I had nine turnovers last night. Uh, like I said before, they, they had nine turnovers in the game last year, they would have thrown a, a parade. Uh, and they know exactly who they are. And everybody, everybody plays their role. They don't try to be outside of their role. Uh, everybody plays with their strength and McMahon puts them in positions where they play to their strength. And everybody on this team realizes each other's roles and tries to enhance those roles. You know. They know where to get KJ Williams of the all. They, uh, uh, you know, they know Hannibal the, the dude's going to drive. Uh, they, they know Fountains an energy guy. They all know their roles and they stick to them, and uh, and they, they they play smart and under control. They don't play dumb basketball. They don't play dumb basketball. They really don't.
3: Are, are you surprised how quickly McMahon has been able to get? all these kids to kind of buy into his system. I know there's only a few leftovers from the Will Wade era. And a lot of these guys are guys that played for him previously or new players, but this team seems to have really good chemistry and they're very disciplined. And usually that's not always the case in year one.
8: No, but I also think a a lot of these guys are are upperclassmen. Uh, They've been, they've been through programs. Uh, they know what coaches want. I mean, they, they know that if they want, if they want to play and want a team to work at this point in their career, they know that, you know, I have to do, I'll do what the coach says, you know, I've played other places and it helps that man has three guys on from, you know, from, from his team, uh, NCAA, NC state guys really good. I mean, he's got got, he's got transfers who are veterans who, uh, have really bought into what he's saying. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, I I really am. I mean, it's not an overly talented team. I mean, I love there's an NBA guy on this team besides, you know, KJ Williams, honestly. I mean, uh, you know, maybe fountain eventually if he gets bigger and stronger, uh, you know, uh, Hannibal would be a great running back for any football team. Uh, the guy just puts his head down and finds a hole, uh, but, yeah, they, they play smart, they play together, and they don't do anything outside of what they're supposed to do in their roles, and, it's, and, and that, that's the mark of a, a team that, it, that knows how to play as a team.
3: I know it's early, but do you believe this team has what it takes based on what you've seen through non-conference playing through a couple games in SEC play to be an NCAA tournament team?
8: It's going to be right there at the end. I mean, I mean, as far as making, making the tournament, I mean, it's like, it's a long, it's a long season. Uh, you know, you get worn down. They don't have a, a deep rotation. Uh, and probably few teams in this league do. I'm sure Tennessee does. I watched them last night. They just ran the cast of thousands. Uh, as you saw Kentucky really, do, really doesn't. I mean, Kentucky, they played two guys in the start line of 40 minutes. <laughs> uh they have a shot, you know. And, and you know, after these first two games of the SEC, I mean, I don't want to go crazy over them. But from the, the 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 things I've seen of how they win and how they their formula winning their formula winning never changes. Uh, and the guys have bought into this. Yeah, I, I think they got a shot. I'm not going to say yet, yet because you know when injuries come up. Uh, but at the end of this month, we'll know a lot. This is. Honestly, this is the harder part of their schedule. January is the hardest part of their schedule, uh, and uh, you know they got A and M Saturday, Florida next Tuesday, Alabama. The, after that, then they have two straight uh, home games. But I they they end January with Ar- Arkansas on the road. And they play Texas Tech in the Big Twelve shootout here in Baton Rouge. So
3: and they still have to play Auburn and Tennessee, even though those games are at home.
8: Yeah, Auburn Tennessee are, are coming up in a couple of weeks, back to back at home. So uh, we'll know more about them then. Uh, I don't think they can beat Tennessee. I think Tennessee is the team to beat here. Uh, uh, I do think they can beat Auburn. I don't know, uh, Auburn is not the Auburn has been the last couple of years, and uh, but again uh, LSU they they need to stay healthy. Uh, if LSU stays healthy and doesn't get worn down, they got a real, they got a good shot. They really really do because uh, I just uh, they they play with good pace and they play smart and they got guys who take care of the basketball, which was something totally foreign to Will Wade's teams. <laughs> uh, but, but again, Will Wade seems to have more athletes. When you have more athletes, athletes they can do anything. So they they play at a higher speed and they they make mistakes at a higher pace. Uh, Uh, These guys are not the athletes that Will Wade's teams were, but they play really, really smart, and they play exactly the way they're supposed to play.
3: We're talking with Ron Higgins, award-winning columnist for Tiger Details. The Mad Dog joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, let's shift to the football team. Before we get to the game and dissecting that absolute beatdown of poor Purdue, Kayshawn Butte, that situation, him deciding to change his mind and go into the draft five days before the bowl game. It seems like Brian Kelly and his staff knew that was happening because he didn't even make the trip with them to Orlando. What do you make of that turn of events from committed coming back for the senior year and then all of a sudden changing the mind there right before the bowl game?
8: Well, I just thought it had a devastating effect on LSU in the bowl game, didn't it? Ha, <laughs>
3: Oh uh, you
8: know, no, no! I mean, you know I mean, good luck, good luck to him. But he was a a diva all year. I mean, Brian Kelly did his best to connect with and not say coddle, but try to get him in a, a positive frame of mind. And whether he, you know, uh, you know, it, it's not wasn't Jane Daniels' job to connect with 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 Kayshawn you know, I mean, that's my guy. You know, you're on the field, you connect with everybody, you throw it everybody. Uh, and once, I think he—that's what you know—that's what Daniels did. Once he started throwing the ball downfield, Butte got some of them. You know what? Malik Neighbors is the best receiver on this team. He's been it since mid-year last year. When, when Butte got hurt, he's been the best receiver. He went out and showed it again. Uh, makes tough catches, to go out and plays, no ego. Uh, and I and I and I, I thought I was so impressed. I, I look, I know Purdue is decimated. I, I get that. I understand that. But the hardest thing to do is to go out there and not be prepared, and not take it seriously, and not go out there and just, just destroy the team like you're supposed to destroy them. And that's what LSU did. Uh, they were totally prepared for this bowl game, and didn't it wouldn't matter who played for Purdue. They were going to win this game, and they're going to win it easily. Uh, the fact they they had a you know. Uh, you know, the, the the 56 point victory margin, which is the ties the largest of any team in bowl history and all the bowls everywhere in all time, ties the largest victory margin, uh, says something from the way they took a pair of business. And uh, for all the people who don't like bowls, I think the bowls were all great, pretty good to watch this year. And you wanna know that they go, well, you know, we'll, you know wow, we're a bowl. I mean, they should get rid of bowls. What, what I know what bowls are all about bowls are about what happened at LSU in the last minute. When Claude Wilson, a walk on, you know, Frank Wilson's son gets in the game and takes a pick uh, 99 yards to the house and yeah. the whole team empties off the bench. Frank Wilson runs off the field on the field. That's what bowl games are about, man. That's the joy of college football. And people, fans get so hooked up on the, on the, on the playoff BS. That, that, that all of a sudden another no game was consequential. All I know is I saw a hell of a game in bowl games. I mean, Arkansas and Kansas were a great game. There were other, I mean, like Tulane, USC?
3: That was are phenomenal. You,
8: are you kidding me? I mean, go down the line. And both, both college football playoff games were, were two of the best ever. So, uh, look, they're going to go to 12 teams in the playoffs in a couple of years. But I, I don't want the bowls to get damaged. And for all the people who say, oh, it's a waste of time, uh, you know what? You know, go go mow your lawn in December, or whatever.
3: <laughs> go mow, go mow the lawn in December. He <laughs> says. Wherever
8: you wherever you are, just go mow your lawn like two to, two below. Go mow your frozen lawn because bowl games are, are, are still fun to watch, and, and it may not mean something to the nation or something to, uh, to you personally, but it means something to the kids involved. It means something to guys who. You know who aren't on big, major teams. Who, you know, who who put who played a college football career for four years and never been to a bowl. They they, they finally go to a bowl, any bowl, and they and they have, you know, and they're treated well and they're given gifts and they're like, Well, this is great. That's what bowls are about, you know. What I mean, and so for all people who hate bowls, well, I don't like you very much either.
3: There we go. Right? There we go. Speaking of fun, Garrett Nussmeyer's fun to watch. I just I'm I'm gonna say it. I don't I don't think LSU has a quarterback controversy. I don't. But they do have a guy who's the backup quarterback who's pretty electric when he gets into games. Now, he makes some bad throws. There's not a throw on the field that he doesn't think he can make. He's got that gunslinger in him, right? He's got a little bit of that Brett Favre in him where he thinks, eh, I don't care. That's a tight window and triple coverage. I'm still gonna throw it. But Nuss is kind of electric. Jane Daniels is a dual-threat quarterback, but yet he seems to be the safer of the two. It's a weird dynamic with the LSU quarterback room. How do you think that's going to pan out in the spring and in the fall? Daniels has to be the starter, but do you think Brian Kelly's going to try to get Nuss playing time?
8: Yeah, I mean, if Nuss is still here, and I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm not saying he's transferring. I'm just saying he's still still here. Uh, if they can figure out a way to play both of them like they did the other day, uh, LSU is pretty damn unbeatable. I mean, I mean, I mean, their offense is pretty unstoppable. It's just ridiculous. Uh, you've got Daniels, uh, the safer of the two, but who can make unbelievable plays with his legs. I mean, when, when the guy, you know, does decide to throw downfield, you know, he's a pretty good passer. And then you got Nussmeier, who's uh, just throwing these cannon shots all over the field. The, the, his best touchdown i have made. The, the one that showed me that he he, he matured a little bit was the the, the the I think eleven yard touchdown pass to Brian Hilton. Yeah, where he, he, it was like his like his third option, and then he stepped up in the pocket, and threw this little flip across the middle. It was a t- simple touchdown. Didn't try to force it in the end zone. Didn't make a crazy throw. He forced one later. It's eleven. He left the throw later short. Got intercepted. Uh, if they can figure out a way somehow to give them both playing time. And and the hardest thing to do, I think, Nussmeier is always ready. I mean, I think he's like the hot three point who's on the sidelines. Just can't wait to get in and start firing stuff up. I think if it'll work, if 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 Daniels can stay uh, in rhythm and as and engaged as he was the other day, I mean, he just stepped right back in the game after a couple of series. I'm like, bam, I'm, I'm, I'm mailing it. I'm going to hit it again uh against a better opponent that might be a problem i don't know we haven't seen that but last and and, you know kelly said he did not want to play two quarterbacks but if you got two quarterbacks that good and bring two different things to the table uh you gotta figure some way to get them both on the field and 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 both of them be happy with it and it seems like both of them support each other i don't think there's any animosity i think you know, and then you got you got Howard in the mix, and, and look, uh, Howard's, You know, his turn's coming. It may not be next year. I hope he can put up with that, but it's coming.
3: It is that. Uh, I got to I I got to hit a break, but I need to ask you a question. This is uh, from one of our listeners, diehard listeners, Ralph. He goes, "Can you ask the Mad Dog when's the first twenty twenty three cruise? I live vicariously through him.
8: Uh, it's in March." Uh, Right before the, I think right before the NC tournament, somewhere around there, March, March, May, June, uh, open date week of the Alabama game in December. There we go. That's it. Yeah. Already
3: got five of them lined up. I l- absolutely love that, brother. Appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Happy New Year.
8: All right, guys, take care. See you.
3: We got to take a time out. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Uh, the poll question of the day on Wednesday is always our foodie poll question of the week. We asked you, what type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti or sketties. However you want to say it. We're not going to be... so. It's a judgment-free zone here on how you pronounce the spaghetti or how to refer to spaghetti. Do you like shredded cheese? That's what Hannah Five Names loves. Loves putting the shredded cheese on her spaghetti, on her red beans and rice, maybe even on her cereal. Never do know. She loves, she lives for shredded cheese. Is it American slices? Is it Parmesan or is it other Right now, 85% of you say the Parmesan, 9% say other, 4% say American slices, and only 2% of folks agree with the producer extraordinaire, Ms. Hannah Five Names. Ton on the Twitter says, did at Hannah Five Names really say canned red beans and rice with cheese? Jesus, we need a cooking intervention now. And he shared a gif of Gordon Ramsay saying you're cooking like a donkey. <laughs> that is brutal jpk the od says i have to address the many layers of fail here one slice cheese two on top of canned beans three on top of microwave whites with this revelation i don't think even the west bank would take you back hashtag no more foodie poll questions from hannah that's nasty gif people are coming out against you they've hey, turned against you when you went down the red beans i told you not to do that and you just went my name
4: down. wrong too <laughs>
3: <laughs> who Dad says who Dad forever says if you put a plate of spaghetti in front of me and it has a slice of american cheese or processed shredded cheese on it you're sleeping with the fishes keep those comments coming on our foodie poll question of the week leave them on facebook and twitter and we'll share them throughout the final hour of today's show speaking of that final hour we'll kick it off with Corey diaz from the daily advertiser raging cajuns beat reporter that's next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh,
0: yeah! Oh,
8: yeah!
0: Everything! Everything! Everything gonna be
1: right this morning
0: Live from the Delta Media
2: Studios in Upper Lafayette Here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names And your big, bald, beautiful host Raymond Parts III Better known as RP3
3: Our number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company. Coming up in a half hour from right now, we're going to talk all things black and gold with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. He likes to dance as well when he's got a microphone in front of him as well. A lot of times he likes to do that while being televised. (laughs) If you're catching us on the Cybercast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. You were in a treat. You got to see the big, bald, and beautiful one do a little uh, chair dancing coming in out of the break. You're welcome, by the way. You're welcome. Raging Cajuns men's basketball team. Preseason favorites to win it all. Preseason player of the year. Yet, they've been on the struggle bus here of late. Had their hands full at McNeese. Was able to pull out an eight. Point win there inside the Legacy Center. Then they go and get crushed by number seven ranked Texas. And then it's losing to a mediocre Coastal Carolina team after being up by 10 with five minutes to go and then losing on the road to Old Dominion. They'll try to finally get on track in conference play this week when they welcome in Southern Miss on Thursday night to the Cajun Dome and then Georgia State, who's always a pain on Saturday night. To talk more about Bob Marlin's team and what's going wrong with them right now is a man who covers them for the Daily Advertiser. Our good friend, Corey Diaz, joins us now. Corey, happy New Year, brother. How are you, my friend?
7: RP3, what's up, brother? I'm doing all right. How are you guys this morning?
3: Have you finally thawed out from our excursion up in Shreveport for the Independence Bowl? (laughs)
7: Yeah, it took took a few days, didn't it? it, we We had... Listen, we had quite the memorable Independence Bowl experience, I will say. That was my second one, but I'll certainly remember my second one uh <laughs> more vividly than my first.
3: That's <laughs> what happens when you put you and I and Kevin Foot into uh, a press box together. Shenanigans will always ensue, my friend. So let's talk about. We'll start with the football team because obviously they fall short in the bowl game, but. Still, uh, they get to a bowl game in year one of Coach Dez's tenure. Reminds me a lot of Billy Napier's first year where they were up and down. They get to a bowl game. They lose the bowl game. Uh, Good, strong recruiting class, right? Early signing period, got that done. They do lose a lot. A lot of guys entering, either entering the portal or declaring for the draft. What do you think is going to be the biggest focus, biggest point of emphasis for Coach Dez for spring football coming up here in a couple of months?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think as it pertains to, um, you know, kind of the, you know, recruiting slash, you know, uh, portal, uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call that these days, I mean, it's, look, it's going to be, I think it's lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. You know, I think, um, you know, with the with the exodus of, of, of Zion Hill Green and, and Andre Jones, you know, defensively, uh, and then up front offensively, um, you know, you, you've played a lot of guys um, in a few different positions this year. Um, and you know, you're, you'll lose Hudson at the, at the center spot. You know, he'll, he's exhausted his, his eligibility. So you'll have a spot there to fill, you know, it, it's, they gotta be better in the run game, you know, and, and, and I know Desimo talked about that after, you know, the independence bowl, um, a couple of weeks ago up in tree you know, I asked him what, you know, kind of what his immediate, you know, checklist looks like. And, and, you know, he said, you know, as we get closer to spring and get into it, you know, we, we we need to start, we need to start getting back to, you know, that run game identity. You know, that this program has kind of built itself on, you know, for the last handful six seven years, and so uh, it's got to start there, uh, Raymond. I mean, it's, you know, they they had some talented backs this year, and and you know, and obviously played a lot of guys at that p- particular position as well, but. You know, I don't know there shouldn't be any reason that Chris Smith shouldn't have rushed for at least, you know, eight hundred, nine hundred yards this year, you know, and then you got a guy like Draylon Washington who kinda of came on as the season progressed. I mean, this is a kid who looked like, you know, a force to be reckoned with when he would touch the ball, but he would only touch the ball three, four five times a game, you know. So there there's gotta be some you know, some some cohesion in terms of kind of what the you know, what that game plan looks like for those guys, you know, during these games. And so I think that's got to be the initial, you know, the initial starting point, you know, for this football team and for and for Des as he, you know, basically gets ready to enter into year two, you know, as the head coach at UL is, is you know, we we really need to hone hone in and, and tinker with what we're doing schematically offensively to where we can, you know, put this team in the best position to be successful because I think there were times this year and Raven, I know you and I talked a lot, you know, during the year, there were times where it seemed like the identity of the team, especially offensively, was a little sporadic, a little scattered. Um, so if they, can, if they can address that and get it more defined, uh, I think it would be a big help.
3: Obviously, line of scrimmage is going to be a point of emphasis, making sure the quality of depth is there. Uh, attacking the running game and getting that back on track is going to be a big part of that as well. What do they do at quarterback, Corey? Because we saw three guys play this year for them, and we know what Chandler Fields can bring to the table, and I thought he played well in the in the Independence Bowl. We know what Ben Woolridge did. He had moments. He played well throughout the season as well. But it sure does feel like, you know, there's a buzz about the young man out of Madison Prep, who a lot of folks feel like is a more athletic and better version of Levi Lewis, and we know what he meant to that program. Uh, How's that going to shake out, in your opinion, as it stands right now?
7: Yeah, you know, this is a... (laughs) Talk about a, just a really unique uh, situation, right? Um, there there may not have been too many college football teams in the history of the sport, right? That, that return, <laughs> that returned three quarterbacks all got, all got game experience the year prior um, and you're coming and, and you had a quarterback competition the previous season in the preseason, you obviously awarded one guy that job and you're coming back and you're basically doing the same thing. Obviously, you know, Wooldridge is not going to be ready for spring, you know, tearing his ACL there in November. It, it's, I mean, I would be amazed, you know, if he was ready come March. I mean, I, I've never heard of a four-month, you know, ACL recovery. So, um, obviously, so Woldridge is obviously going to be behind the eight ball a little bit, you know, with with his continued rehab. But, But, I mean, if you look at the game film, I mean, I, I thought, I thought, you know, by and large, he performed better. You know than Chandler Fields. You know when his number was called and he was in the game. Um, but you know, Des, at least up to this point, right? He's he's always seemed like a guy that's that's you know he he's going to give his guys a chance. And so I mean, we're obviously going to get another competition, I think, and this is, might even roll into into you know preseason next year as well. And um, but. I think this year, and it's like you mentioned RP3, I think the difference is is that this could be a three-man competition instead of just a two-man. I think Zion, Chris, yeah, obviously he was in much more limited time than, say, Chandler or Ben, but he, he's he's flashed. You know, he's shown some things. He shows what he can bring, you know, to this offense, especially with his legs. You know, he had that one run. Um you know, I think it was his first drive in the game of the Independence Bowl after Chandler, you know, exited the game coming out of the locker room. And I think it was a, I think it was a third and long, and 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 he picked up the first down. I think he moved from you know the UL side of the field to the Houston side of the field, and and he drove that first drive. He got the offense down into the five yard line, and then obviously Chris Smith has the fumble there. If that drive ends with points for the Cajuns, I uh, think. RP3. I think you and I kind of talked about it in the press box at that time, but this game probably ends differently. You know, Louisiana probably wins this game because the whole complexion changes at that point. But so Zeon Chris has got the ability. Um, And I think with another year, obviously getting uh, more comfortable with the playbook, uh, I obviously think there there's going to have to be a little bit of finagling, right. In terms of kind of what we want to call, right. Because, you know, I think I think there was a things that there's a lot of things that they tried this year that um, you know Des even mentioned that after the eyeball too, right? Was that you know we need to figure out we need to really hone in on what's working for us. And I think um, you know if you if you play a guy like sion Chris, I think you give yourself a, a much wider base uh, of, of you know base plays that you can run because of his ability to not only throw the ball but run it as well. Um, And that's not to say neither Chandler nor Ben can do it. I just think Zion's a more athletic guy as it pertains to that particular skill. So you open some things up for yourself, but so I I do think it'll be a three quarterback race. I, I personally, my personal opinion is that, you know, it's probably Chandler Fields' job to lose right now. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if Zion really pushes for this thing. And, and, you know, obviously, you know, again, in the era of college football that we're in right now, you know, RB three, right. It's, it's, you know, who who, if any, you know, might enter the transfer portal if, if they don't, you know, feel like they're, you know, in a good position to win this job. So you, you could this could by attrition kind of work itself out in a way. Um but right now I think I think the, the the money's gotta be on Chandler to be the starting quarterback come, you know, late August next year. Um but, you know, obviously there we got eight months to go. So uh a lot can certainly happen between now and
3: then. You talk about, you know, I agree with you. I think Chandler's probably the front runner there. Uh, a bigger question mark for me is going to be wide receiver because Jefferson is declared for the draft. Stevens is declared for the draft and graduating. You have one player transfer out and go to Tulane. You have another one, Errol Rodgers, that has entered the transfer portal. It seems like it's only Peter LeBlanc, and that's it right? I mean, we've talked about depth at the wide receiving core being a, a, an asset the last couple of years. Now all of a sudden you look up and there's really only one guy with playing experience.
7: Yeah, no, and, and you're right, Raymond. I mean, who you know, a- after the, the, the 13 games that we all watched you know, this year, right? I mean, the the, the lingering question is, is okay, well, we'll you know, who's going to catch the first pass in the, in the 2023 college football season for, for UL? I mean, it's a Look, I, you know, Peter two years ago was an was a all-conference type receiver. But, I mean, we've, we've talked about him this year. And, and I, it's probably because there was a lot of guys at that position and it was really deep. And it's, uh, we've talked to a lot of the receivers throughout the year about just, you know, what they have to do on a day-in, day-out basis just to even get onto the field, you know, much less, you know, run good routes and then, and then open yourself up as a as a target, you know, for whichever quarterback's in the game. Peter's obviously got the ability. He just kind of disappeared this year, um, and, and and obviously, you know, when you're playing opposite of a guy like Michael Jefferson, you know, that's that guy's got to get his touches. I mean, if you want to win a game, you got to get that guy's touches. And so it that, but you know, I mean, he played opposite of of, of Mike Jefferson, you know, the year before, you know, so um, yeah, Peter's gonna have to come back, man. He's gonna have to he's going to have to kind of refine that, that, um, that 2021, you know, magic that he had. Um, and yeah, I mean, after him, man, I mean, uh, Lance Lejeune, I, I, just purely from a physical and, 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 uh, performative standpoint, man. I mean, he, he, he's got the tools. I mean, he's big, he's six, two, he's six, three, he's 215, you know, probably close to 220 pounds. he, He almost looks kind of like a tight end, but he's obviously playing the receiver position because he's, you know, he's mobile like a quarterback, which was his former position. I mean, I I can, I can easily see Lance having a remarkable breakout year in 2023, because it's like you said, RP three, a lot of those guys have, have exited out. And so there's this big opportunity waiting for Lance now to really take that step forward and be that guy for this team and this offense. So, I would start with Lance, man. I mean, that that would be the guy that I would look to. Um, you know, the tight end spot, um, it, it should have been a, a, a safety blanket for this offense this year. Um, it, it ultimately was not. Um, you know, you could get in a situation. I mean, I know Johnny Lumpkin's out the door. He's probably going to be on the NFL team come this time next year. Um, but, you know, you got guys like Neil Johnson and, and, and Pierce Meagle and those guys um, who can – you know, come in and, and they're capable of making those plays. Uh, I mean, I think especially next year, you know, when you've got really just two or three guys that have legit significant game time experience, like you really need to lean on those, those tight ends and those guys that have a lot more experience. And so, um, but who knows, man, you never know, <laughs> you never know how it's going to go. Cause I thought this year obviously would, would look different, um, but it ultimately ended up the way that it did. And so, um, I think there's just this is a this is a great time for Des and, and Tim Leger and the offensive staff to really kind of get into those war rooms over there and, and really look at the playbook dive into it and see what was really successful and efficient for them this year keep those plays and maybe tinker with some others some others uh, to give themselves the, the best offensive playbook. we
3: will wrap it up with this I'd be remiss not to ask you about the men's basketball team because preseason favorites uh, they struggled on the road at McNeese, but were able to gut out a win, get housed by Texas, lose to a mediocre Coastal Carolina team on the road to start conference play and then lose to Old Dominion. what ails Bob Marlin's team right now?
7: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a good question. Um, You know, sometimes when you have teams and even individual players, right, that have these – you know preseason accolades. So we're we're the pre- we're the prohibitive favorites to win our conference this year. We've got the preseason player of the year. Um, those those things kind of come with burdens sometimes, you know. Um, and you know, and when you're and when you're in a program that maybe not necessarily has kind of been there year in year out, um, you're so you're kind of learning right as you're as you're progressing. Um, and look. I mean, you mentioned the, the the loss to Old Dominion the Iron night. I mean, and this is you know this is a guy who covered Conference USA basketball for four years a few years ago. Like, and I've seen a lot of ODU over the years. It's first off hard to win at their place, uh, but they're but they're a a, a tradition rich basketball program. They're, Correct. That's kind of from the men's side of their athletic department. That's mainly what they're known for. They're known for their men's basketball program. That's a good program. But yeah, you no, know, you can't lose to Coastal Carolina, especially with the you know the guys they had transfer off of their team from last year. Um, you know, it's that's not a good look. I mean, it's look, I think it's you know, it, three point shooting, turnovers. Um, you know, I think it's a it's. I don't know if it's a lack of urgency um, in in the right moments of these games, but you know, to be able to close games out, uh, you know, you kind of have to have that like you know, almost that killer instinct, right? And I think this team is still trying to find that within itself, that killer instinct that is. And so, um, you know, it's it's a multitude of things. You know, when you're losing leads like that, you know, late in games, um, you know, it's it's not being able to, to step up and, and either make that big-time shot or get that big defensive stop, you know, when you need it. And so, uh, they, you know, they just got to find those guys, right, that can step up in those big-time moments and make those plays. Uh, look, this team was preseason favorites to win the league for a reason. They're they're one of the more talented teams in the Sun Belt, um, and I think coming back home, getting Southern Miss, that's that's probably going to be a big lift for this team. It's probably going to be a situation where, especially in league play, once they see a win, you know, they can probably stack some here, um, and that's kind of what I expect out of Bob and his team. Uh, so so we'll we'll see RP three. I mean, it look it's early. They're only two games in the Sun Belt play. You know, no one's throwing in the towel you know um so you know there there's there's lots of time there's a lot more games um you know they'll they'll just have to find that killeristic man and be able to just kind of shape that and mold that to what they need
3: Corey appreciate you time as always brother happy New Year enjoy the games this week Thursday and Saturday versus Southern miss in Georgia State and try to keep our guy Kevin foot in line you know how he gets man he gets, he becomes a maniac he, he, he uncontrollable out there <laughs>
7: Listen, if you and if you and I together can't do it, I mean, who who can? I mean, <laughs> we, we've been trying, we've been trying for years, and it's and it's not happened. That, so,
3: it, um, this is true. Just, <laughs> he
7: just has to. <laughs> he just gonna run loose.
3: This is true, brother. Appreciate your time, bud.
7: Appreciate you, brother. Y'all take care.
3: It's Corey Diaz, Daily Advertiser, Louisiana Raging Cajuns beat reporter, talking football off season, talking a little men's basketball as well. We got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll update that poll question of the day. Get to your comments. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
2: Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I
8: can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a
2: walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us. At 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on on the the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
3: Lafayette Marble and Granite, they pride themselves on earning your business. And they're going to go above and beyond to make that happen. Look, you already know they offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. They came in very handy when my wife and I were going through our bathroom remodeling project. Couldn't find the marble she liked, she wanted, the cut. Guess what? We found it at LMG. That's why they handled our bathroom Renovations, and they're going to handle our kitchen renovations as well. And look, Chris and his team over at LMG—they provide more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free shower line. Make sure to visit their website, LMGElite.com. That's LMGElite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit LMGelite.com. That's LMGelite.com. Or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City, Ford, and the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Coming up in about five minutes from right now, Andrew Judes from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us to talk all things black and gold as they prepare to wrap up their season at home against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday inside their Caesar Superdome. Foodie poll question of the week is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. We asked you, what type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your sketties? That's right. What you go with with your spaghetti. 85% of you say Parmesan. That's the acceptable cheese to put on top of the spaghetti. say other with some more fancier cheeses. Always shout out to that. Always like the refined palate coming through on these answers. 4% say American slices of cheese. And 4% say shredded cheese. Plenty of comments about it's unacceptable to have cheese on the spaghetti. It's also unacceptable to have cheese... On your red beans and rice, which was unveiled throughout today's show by the one and only Miss Hannah. Five names who let us know that that's what she does. Not only does she put the shredded cheese on her spaghetti, she goes ahead and puts it on the red beans and rice, which she likes eating out of a can, sometimes without even rice. It's concerning. I know many of you are alarmed. Many of you are concerned about her future and her well-being as you should
4: i make other good foods though so i can't put this one bad decision on me
3: <laughs> can we somehow blame it on your fiance because yes. you admitted that that the, the cheese thing was not something you started doing until you started dating falling in love living with your future husband kenneth correct yes, uh, yes
4: that is the thing i did not do that until after we were together so, and actually, it to last like two years, actually.
3: So it took him four years to to, to, to wear you down to get you to be cheese yeah. on the red beans and rice and cheese yeah. on the spaghetti.
4: I figured I'd just try it. I'm like, I oh, don't you know what. We'll just try it. It'll work. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. But I don't eat it all the time either on it. But it's just more convenient to do the canned red beans than the, the no. you know, other beans. No. For my life, it is. You deserve life better. Is different.
3: You deserve better. You deserve better than canned red beans and rice. I'm going to speak for all of us here at the game and better, better. You know what? I'm going to speak for everyone here at Delta Media Corporation. Okay. That you, Hannah, deserve better than canned red beans. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying, you deserve better. I'll speak for everyone involved.
4: But I promise you guys, don't need intervention. I do make other good things. You can ask Ray and Foot. They both have my macaroni and cheese. They had no idea how to make baked macaroni and cheese, and I figured it out. I made my own recipe for it, so I made that. And your mom and, said it was fantastic, and, too. And, to and,
3: and you made that because you you found the time to make it instead of just, you yeah. know, using the thing that you heat up in the microwave by adding water, right? Yeah, I did Instant all my mac- chores,
4: yeah. like, earlier that day, so I thought it'd be nice to the fiance, and I made him baked macaroni and cheese because his favorite meal. See, there
3: you go. See, yeah. you can just do the same thing for red beans. We'll help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> keep those comments coming. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. we got to take a timeout. When we return, Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast will join us. We'll talk all things black and gold. That's next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston. National.
2: Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give the Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the big easy blitz here on RP3 and Company.
3: Oh, Saints fans, you can just relax, right? There's going to be no anxiety, no worried nature this weekend. Don't have to worry about your team making the postseason because it's not going to happen. You were eliminated because Minnesota crumbled against Green Bay. <laughs> Your last hopes of making it as a wild card were dash, and now you can simply enjoy taking on the rival Panthers and ending the season with hopefully a fourth straight victory. I know that's what our next guest is going to do. He's the co-host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, also contributing columnist covering the Saints for 103.7thegame.com and 1041 thegamecom Our good friend Andrew Juge joins us now. Andrew, happy new year, brother. How are you, my friend?
5: I'm good. It took me a while to figure out my uh, my computer here, my my logistical, technical stuff. But I'm here. I'm good, man. And uh, happy 2023 to you. Happy new year. And uh, I don't know, Raymond, I felt like you sounded a little excited there about the Saints being eliminated. you, You almost felt like you had a little bit of a guilty pleasure there.
3: Well, see, see, he puts everyone out of their misery, which I thought I was hoping the Saints would do. So the misery of this season would just be go away and then fans could just relax and be like, okay, yeah, you know what? We're not making the postseason again. We're we're fine, (laughs) you know, and just be able to, to deal with it and just go from there, so to speak.
5: Well, it's, it's amazing how long the pain has been prolonged just by the fact that the NFC South just kept losing games. Oof. And uh, no, you're, you're absolutely right in that sense. It's uh, It's been crazy that week after week we see the Saints lose games and uh, there's always this conversation of, hey, they're still in it, <laughs> they still have a chance to make the playoffs. So uh, I, I will say in that way it is nice. And But it is frustrating too. Look, they've won three games in a row and... Uh, we didn't know it at the time when they started this win streak, but we know it now that it was too little, too late. And, uh, you know, look, I, I think that's going to be kind of the big thing about the Saints this season is the big takeaway is, is frustration because so many of these games that they lost were there for the taking. and This was not a team. You know, I, I would say, honestly, if I looked at the this whole season, the Baltimore game is really the only game that I can think of where I didn't really feel like the Saints had a shot. And I feel like the better team clearly won. And uh, from start to finish, there was one team on the field that day that was clearly better. Uh, That's really the only time this season that I felt like the Saints were in that position. Every other game, I felt like it was there for the taking. They were in those games. And a lot of times, it was self-inflicted wounds. It was the Saints beating themselves. It wasn't their opponent winning that game. And, and so again like I, for me the big takeaway this season is a lot of frustration
3: it's a lot of frustration I mean it springs to mind the Tampa game Arizona Cincinnati th- those are games that they should have won right they just yeah. they, they, they they let them slip through their hands what's been the big difference the last three weeks compared to the rest of the season What what's been the big difference maker for the Saints
5: well, first of all, they're playing a lead defense. Uh, you know, over the last five weeks, they're giving up 13.2 points per game. And, uh, you know, look, if you're giving up under 15 points per game, you're going to win a lot uh, just because, the, you know, the, at, at the end of the day, the team that scores the most wins the game. And so I, that, that's that been a big deal. Uh, and that's been a big reason why they've had some success. Uh, look, beyond that, I think. Tom has been really criticized this season for his abilities as a head coach, and I think fairly so. Uh, and he certainly has struggled. Uh, but to me, when they were losing these games, and, and you can attribute coaching to it to an extent, but to me it was very clear that they were turning the football over at an exceptional rate, and they were getting no turnovers. And I, we, we know this. This is football 101, Raymond. When you do that, you lose games. It, it's that simple. And over the last few weeks, I would say the combination of playing elite defense but they're not turning the ball over on offense as much. And then on defense, they're starting to create some. And so that luck has turned a little bit, and they're starting to, to win games. And, and like I said that earlier on this uh, segment, all these games, they've been in them. They've been competitive in these games, really from the start of the season. And so the margin of error between a win and a loss has been really, really small. And it, it's really come down to the finer points. It's come down to the details. It's come down to one fumble here one penalty there, and and they've cleaned it up just enough, and that's how it's flipped. So I think protecting the football a little bit more, creating – and, you know, it hasn't been transformational. It's been maybe one less turnover a game, creating maybe one more a game. It's been very subtle, uh, but because these games have been so close, that's been the difference.
3: The way this team is starting to play – and they're fighting they obviously are playing hard for Dennis Allen and it's starting to result in more wins than losses now does this give you hope that DA can turn things around and get them back to being a playoff team next year or do you feel like you're getting Jim Hazlitt 2.0 um I
5: don't know I don't know yet um it does give me hope to answer your question yes um I I think there was a point in the season where the tide was kind of clearly pointed towards. And look, I think a lot of people fairly or unfairly are attaching to Dennis Allen's resume, what he did with the Raiders. And and obviously that was three dismal years. And so that that's on his resume. That's part of his coaching history. Uh, And obviously he's done a lot since then as a coordinator, very good stuff to kind of prove that he's a very successful, very solid defensive coordinator um, but I don't know that he's done enough this year to kind of turn uh, perspective on, hey, he can do it as a head coach. And and, and I would look at this season as a failed season and, and as a disappointment for the Saints, especially when you consider the NFC South and uh, how much it struggled. This division was there for the taking. And, and so I, I do view Dennis Allen's job this year as a failure overall. But um, look, how they've done the last few weeks has given me some hope. Uh, it, it's given me some belief that potentially this team can win with Dennis Allen as the head coach. And ultimately, it's going to come down to what is a critical offseason. And they're going to have to figure out quarterback for starters. I believe Jameis Winston is done with this team. And I think on Sunday against Carolina, that's the last time you'll ever see him in a Saints uniform. I believe that they will release him at the start of free agency or before it. And so. Then they have a big decision to make a quarterback. Do they bring back Andy Dalton? Do they go look for another veteran? Derek Carr is potentially going to be out there. Geno Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo. Do they look at guys like that? Uh, Do they look at making a a selection in the draft? If they get a first-round pick for Sean Payton, maybe they do some combination of all those things I mentioned. But look, I I think they have to figure that out first. And uh, assuming that they do, this is a huge offseason because – I believe Dennis Allen can coach good defense, and we've seen it. They're the number two pass defense in the league. They're giving up 13.2 points per game. Uh, Somehow they're up to 46 sacks on the season. They get four sacks against Carolina Raymond, and we're talking about a 50-sack defense this year. So um, I I think they can win with Dennis Allen, but he has to have complementary football on the other side. It's not that dissimilar from Sean Payton, who in his best years – had a great defensive coordinator to kind of take care of that side of the football and complement what he was doing on offense. It's not that dissimilar, but they have to nail it at quarterback and they have to nail it at offensive coordinator, whether that's bringing back Pete Carmichael or maybe making a change there. Uh, And if they don't, I think Dennis Allen, there's a good chance that if the saints struggle to succeed again next year, that he might be out after two years.
3: You know, you say it's critical and they have to figure out quarterback. And I, I don't disagree with that, but when you look at the landscape, you're looking at a bunch of other middle-tier guys, right? There's not a franchise-changing quarterback that's going to be available. Jimmy G is mid, high mid. Uh, Derek Carr went right before he was broken by Gruden. High mid as well. But you're not talking about an elite signal caller out there and not that much better than what Andy Dalton can bring to the table. So... If you're not, I mean, aren't you just kind of trading one mid-level quarterback for another if you go in another direction?
5: Well, it's interesting that you say that because I think it's important to give Andy Dalton some credit this year for how he's played. I actually think he's kind of playing the best football of his career. I think there's maybe one year in his career where he's played better football than this. So, you know... for what it's worth, I, I actually do think Andy Dalton is playing at a pretty high level. It, it's it's the best case scenario, and and again, it's high mid. It's it, I, I don't I, I'm certainly not calling him an elite quarterback, but I, I think what they got out of Andy Dalton this year was was kind of the best case scenario for what he was going to be able to do in this offense. And so, from that standpoint, it's impressive. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, some of these names that we're throwing out there are necessarily going to elevate this team much more than what they're getting out of Andy Dalton now. And so, yeah, that's where it's difficult. Maybe you do have to make a change. Maybe Look, if they don't get a first round pick and they don't get a quarterback that they feel like could maybe be the future of the franchise, uh, then maybe it is worth exploring a change at offensive coordinator and trying to get someone that's going to be a game changer for them. That's much easier said than done as well. And we know that Pete Carmichael, like he's been a little up and down this year, but uh, certainly you could do worse than that as your offensive coordinator as well. So uh, it's not going to be easy.
3: Talking with Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. He joins us here for the Big Easy Blitz. You know, you you talked about figuring out the quarterback and this is going to be a key offseason. They also have to address the running back position this offseason, right? Because you still have Alvin Kamara's legal issues that's going to be handled during the offseason, but it was proven this year that you need more depth behind him. You need more downhill runners, actual running backs, so to speak, behind him. Uh, That's got to be a priority this offseason as well. How do you think they address that?
5: Well, listen, I I think there's a lot of big decisions this offseason. We'll start there with running back. Um, When you look at how they're utilizing Alvin Kamara currently, which is running him in between the tackles, uh, forcing him to kind of be a more traditional back. Alvin Kamara right now ranks 39th out of 40 running backs in the league in yards after carry and and that, that is a miserable statistic and I, I think a big reason why is the saints are kind of forcing him to do a lot of the grunt work at running back and that's maybe not what he's best at and he's not being utilized as a as a receiver out of the backfield as much uh he's not being put in the slot as much and Look, I I think with Alvin Kamara, if you're not going to utilize him the way that maximizes his talent, then I think you should trade him. Uh, Now, I think ideally, and look, they kind of got unlucky with Latavius Murray this year. Uh, Maybe we could blame the coaching staff for making a mistake there. Uh, Mark Ingram, they were kind of counting on him to be that complimentary battering ram for for Kamara. And had he been healthy, I think he would have been that. Uh, They lose a couple guys. Tony Jones Jr. gets coached. Uh, Look, I I think at the end of the day, they don't have enough in that room right now. And and so if you're going to keep Kamara, at the end of the day, you have to complement him with a guy that can run in between the tackles. That's clear. I think the coaching staff knows that. I think fans know that. And so if you're going to keep Kamara, you've got to have someone that can complement him by running in between the tackles. So they have to get younger at that position. They have to prioritize getting better at that position, and I think they need to do it through the draft.
3: Wrap it up with this. How important is it for them to beat Carolina this weekend and end on a four-game winning streak and finish 8-9? and
5: Yeah, look, I I don't think it's critical. Uh, I I think we're at the stage of the season where uh, some fans root for draft picks, and just the higher you can get and so they actually want their team to lose and and some fans just want to be entertained on a sunday and see their team end with a win um look look i, I think for dennis allen's regime i mean to finish on a four-game win streak and and uh kind of feel like you've righted the ship and turned things around a little bit i think that's going to be important momentum going into the offseason uh but momentum is a funny thing you know look at at the end of the day next year will be a different team we'll start o and o, and I don't know how much impact this game will have on how they start next year so um, I I don't know that it's critical to win this game I I think it's really important for a number of players I mean you talk about Andy Dalton whether he's with the Saints next year or somewhere else I think this is his last opportunity to play great have a really great game and prove to teams around the league that yeah I, I can still start in this league and this is a big for him. I think this is a huge game for Marcus Davenport. Look, this is a lost season for him in a contract year. He's had a miserable year. And I think he's cost himself, unfortunately, eight millions and millions of dollars uh, because going into this year, he kind of looked like an elite pass rusher. Now he absolutely does not. But if he can just remind people what his freakish talent is and you know, get a couple sacks in this game and just for one game kind of remind everyone like, yeah, if my body's right and I'm in the right situation, I can still play at a really high level. I think that's going to be really important for him. And they always say the the bird in the sky is always there. And, and I think, look, this is the last chance for some of these guys to put tape out there to give themselves a chance in free agency to get some contracts.
3: Andrew, appreciate your time as always. Brother, happy new year to you and your family, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Recap the season.
5: Hey, it's always a pleasure. Glad to, glad to start the year with a bang with you, Raymond, and uh, looking forward to what this year has to offer
3: it's Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. You can read his latest article, latest column, if you will, at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. Go check it out. Saints Happy Hour Breakdown, the latest. we got to take a time out. When we return, we'll wrap up today's show and get you set up for footnotes with maybe Kevin Foote. Eh. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, you didn't get what you wanted from Santa this year? Not to worry. We have the gifts you really want in the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. Or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also there at Cypress Bayou. You can also have the opportunity to score yourself a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard and a $50 gift certificate to Richard's Seafood Patio in Abbeville. But you can only score these excellent prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. I want to take a moment to thank Our guest, Ron Higgins, the mad dog from Tiger Details, talking all things LSU. Corey Diaz, Raging Cajun beat reporter for The Daily Advertiser. And Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast. Our foodie poll question of the day. What type of cheese is acceptable to put on top of your spaghetti? That was our poll question of the day, inspired by Hannah Five Names, who loves doing that. 87% of you say Parmesan. 7% say other 3% 3% say American slices, and only 3% say shredded cheese like what Hannah does. Thank you to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate you. Brian says, it's unacceptable to put American slices on anything. <laughs> so thanks to all who voted and commented. Four Miss Hannah, five names, and... Mr. Moses Campos, I'm Raymond Parch the third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to of one another. Footnotes with maybe Kevin Foote. If not, it'll be me. That's next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.